And on today's episode of the Power Podcast, I'm joined by Kurt Ledford. He's an attorney with Davison Van Cleve Law Firm, which is based in Portland, Oregon. But Kurt, I believe you're headquartered in Las Vegas. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Aaron. And thank you. It's nice to be here today. I've spoken with you before, uh, a little over a year ago, when uh, we were talking about net metering in Nevada, and there's some new developments in Nevada. There were several laws or, or bills that passed or were brought up in the legislature in the past session. Can you touch on some of those and how they affect uh, the energy industry in Nevada? So the energy landscape here in Nevada is dramatic and dynamic and has been changing pretty rapidly over the past few years. Last time we spoke, um, net metering was a big uh, conversational point at the legislature and in the state at large, um, but we've moved on from that in, in, in very progressive ways, and um, it's sort of an exciting time to be an energy lawyer in Nevada with all the, with all the changing landscape and all the, the changing laws and requirements and new renewable energy coming in, and there was a lot of bills that came out of this year's legislature that I think are going to really changed that landscape even more. They're sort of uh, dramatic and progressive in many ways and focused on renewable energy and carbon reduction. And, um, you know, the, the state's taken a, a position as trying to be a leader in that regard. I'm just fortunate enough to sort of be in the middle of it. It's a trend that's happening around the country. Power hosted the Electric Power Conference and Exhibition in Las Vegas in April this year. And right around that same time, the Nevada legislature came out with their 50% uh, renewable portfolio standard by 2030 and uh, striving for 100% carbon-free energy by 2050. What can you tell listeners about that particular bill and, and what Nevada is doing to meet those uh, renewable portfolio standards? Sure, and great question. That that was uh, that was the topic of a lot of conversation in 2017, and a bill was passed. The bill sponsor, Senator Chris Brooks, which at the time was Assemblyman Chris Brooks, was working to try to increase the renewable portfolio standard pretty dramatically. The current standard at the time in 2017 had us uh, going to 25% renewable resources by 2025. A bill passed both the, the Assembly and the Senate, but was vetoed by the governor uh, with a certain number of concerns from the governor's office about um, the timing and, and the, the likelihood of getting to those numbers. Well, after that, a ballot initiative, which would have been a constitutional amendment to the Nevada Constitution, was uh, launched and actually passed um, the, for the first round. In, in Nevada, you have to go twice if you're going to do a constitutional amendment. It's got to go to the people once, and then it's got to be ratified again. Well, it happened the first time, and that, that bill really mirrored the 50% renewable measure that uh, came out of the legislature that was vetoed by the governor. Well, this year, the legislature in 2019 sat down and said, well, okay, the people have spoken, and we passed this bill the first time. Let's look at it. Let's think about it, and sort of got a lot of uh, support for it, and it, it did pass and was signed by the governor this year. So um, Nevada's RPS went from 25% by 2025 to 50% by 2030, and that's a that's a pretty dramatic increase in a short period of time. So the utility is going to have to respond, and, I, and I, I'll get to that, and they have. They really have. The way that it stair steps up is we're at 20% now, it then goes to 24% in a couple years, 29% by 2023, and then upward in a stair-step fashion to 50% by 2030. 
So if you're looking at getting that level of renewable resource on in 11 years, you got to act now. And we'll get to that, but the utility has certainly taken those measures to do so. And I guess a lot of that uh, involves adding more solar power, obviously, and and, uh, in order to incorporate solar into the system, a lot of battery storage is needed. And from what I understand, Envy Energy is kind of leading the way with these solar plus storage type projects. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, that is, and they are. Um, they are they are truly uh, taking steps to be a leader in this regard on renewable energy, uh, not just in Nevada, but in, in the West and perhaps the region and perhaps even the country with some progressive ways to look at uh, how to incorporate renewable resources into a uh, ever-changing grid environment. And it's it's challenging. What, what the utility did in 2018 is they released a, a request for proposals for about 1,000 megawatts of uh, additional solar. And a lot of that solar was just pure solar, but some of it was coupled with battery storage. And that's really the first time we've seen a resource procurement that included that coupling. And it was, went before the uh, Public Utilities Commission at the end of last year and was approved. So we're... we're under construction for 1,001 new megawatts with about 100 megawatts of battery storage going online in 2021-2022. Now, this was before the RPS initiative passed the legislature. Utilities sort of took it upon their own to increase their portfolio of renewable resources even above what was required by law at the time, a very progressive stance. But uh, so you, you think right away, well, what's the cost? What are the utility ratepayers going to be burdened with? And that was vetted through the commission process, and, and we all looked at each other and said, it, it's, it's a good price. I mean, these prices for these renewable resources have been dropping pretty dramatically. You know, we're into the, into the $20 per megawatt hour range, where just a couple of years ago, we were in the $30 per megawatt hour range, and even higher than that before. Of course, a decade ago, we were five times that. So, you know, the, the resource is, is available. It's all solar. Uh, Nevada's real real heavy solar state, not a lot of wind, but the solar resource is, of course, plentiful. And if you can capture some of that resource in the morning hours where demand is low and push that towards the afternoon hours by virtue of the battery storage, then you got something there. That's what we just saw in the, in the new IRP. Following up on the 1,000 megawatts, the utility released another request for proposals to amend their integrated resource plan for additional resource. But this one was really focused on the battery aspect of the product and less focused on just sort of pure solar. And in June, the utility filed an application for an amendment to their integrated resource plan that incorporates even more than the last time. They've got 1,200 megawatts of solar and a, a much, much larger contingency of batteries, um, totaling about 2.3 gigawatt hours of storage. And one of the projects, the Gemini project, which for full disclosure uh, I represent, the battery itself is nearly 400 megawatts, which I have been told is going to be the largest battery, it's certainly the largest battery in Nevada, and I've been told it's the largest battery in the country and maybe even in the world once it's built. So taking huge leaps, Nevada is, to really capture that solar resource at all hours of the day, shift it to time periods where demand is high, and, and, and dispatch that to the utility as they need. And that's, uh, that's an important piece of this, 
is the product is different. It's truly dispatchable. So the utility can sort of demand and command when that solar resource gets fed to the grid and when it gets, and when the, instead where the battery starts charging that solar resource for later hours in the day. So real cool stuff and, and real progressive stuff. And we're seeing uh, the utility actually take the utility and the state take these measures to put their money where their mouth is and get to that 50% renewable, reduce carbon emissions to zero by 2050, according to Senate Bill 358, and and really sort of change the way that we think about how we use and procure energy here. It sounds really incredible and progressive, and uh, Envy Energy can be applauded for that. One thing, um, just for some listeners that may not understand the price of power, you mentioned that the uh, battery storage and the solar was coming in at about $20 per megawatt hour, I think you mentioned. Is that correct? Yeah, it's in the $20 range. They, you know, it's above 20 22 23 24 depends on where the project's located and what resource it is. But, yeah, we're in the low to mid-20s on average right now for, for solar plus battery. And that is compared to, say, a gas plant. What type of prices uh, are you looking at? I mean, are these competitive as is with no subsidies, or is there some sort of uh, uh, variance still there? Yeah, well, I mean, you say no subsidies. We still have the, the investment tax credit, so that's a big piece of it. Uh, I don't know if I would call that a subsidy or not. Your listeners can decide uh, what side of the fence they land on there. But, you know, the investment tax credit does apply to these renewable resources and does continue to help make these prices decline. As far as gas plant, um, you know, that's going to vary as well. New plant versus older plant, heat rates, all going to be kind of in the mix of that conversation. But I can say with confidence that that mid-20 range is, is very comparable with a base load or a fossil fuel resource that, that exists and that we're still using and that we still need. But... You know, th- those prices are, are right around there, especially if you look at the cost of commissioning something new. That, you know, that even changes the, the, the equation even more. Right. And now the Gemini project that you mentioned, it sounded like that uh, could probably provide its uh, capacity for about a three-hour period. Is that uh, kind of what you would say as well? Yeah, I think it's four. I think they can dispatch it uh, to four. I'd have to double check on that, the technical parameters. But, you know, it's a very massive battery. And the, the way that it's dispatched is by a signal that the utility provides to the generator to say, okay, um, charge or okay, dispatch. And the pricing for the product depends on the time of year. As you can imagine, here in a, a desert environment, um, prices fluctuate a lot during the course of a given day based upon demand. And those afternoon hours, that 5, 6, 7, 8 o'clock time period where people are coming home, prices spike. We call it the peak or sometimes even the super peak. Mm-hmm. And those prices can go way up. So when you dispatch the battery at those times, there's a lot more value to that energy than there is during you know 8 or 9 in the morning, per se. So the pricing for this product is set based on the time of day and the month of the year, which is a whole new concept and a whole new like structure that we haven't seen before in Nevada, where it used to be kind of must-take solar, and the pricing was flat across the, the, the spectrum of the day. That's different now, and it makes sense because of the supply and demand curves that you're seeing. And the idea is to reduce that. You know, you've heard of the duck curve in, in California. Um, you might call it the sage-grouse curve here, one of our protected uh, natural species. Mm-hmm. But it it pops in those time periods, and the idea is to sort of levelize that and reduce costs, and um, and then you know make the system 
uh, flow and corn of kind of a very more uniform way as opposed to having peaks and valleys that change the pricing parameters. Right. Now I'll harken back to our, our conference out in uh, Las Vegas again and, and MGM International uh, Resorts provided a, a keynote speaker and uh, talked about how MGM has basically taken control of their electricity supply and installed a lot of rooftop solar and basically cut themselves free from the power cord to the utility. They obviously are still connected, but um, they're getting the majority of their power self-generated. There have been some changes in the laws, I believe, in the recent legislature. They may have changed the access for large customers and things like that. What can you tell us about that and how it's affecting big uh, clients? Sure. No, another great question and another piece of legislation that came out of the 2019 session. And, and first, uh, to MGM uh, Resorts, uh, applause is necessary. They are they are a leader in this regard. They uh have taken their energy usage seriously. Their footprint is certainly huge in the Las Vegas Valley. They own a lot of properties on the Strip. They generate uh, a lot of uh, energy usage, and so their demand is high. But they have really taken a hard look at what they do and what they use and how they can be a part of the solution as a part of the problem. And I think, I think credit is due to that MGM team on how they've done that. They, you're right. They have done a lot of self-generation. The Mandalay Bay facility on the rooftop of the convention center is, I think at one time was the largest behind the meter solar installation in the country, may still be, somewhere around eight megawatts, I believe, which is absolutely massive, and and powers that facility to a great degree. So they took those types of steps to say, you know, how can we self-generate, how can we use our own resources and our own landscape and our own buildings to provide our energy? And that's great. And then they're also lead certified for most of their uh, newer hotel casinos. So MGM has just done so much for uh, their own customers, their own uh, guests, and of course, Nevada in general with regard to energy. But they also took a very big step uh, a few years ago, and they cut ties with the utility. They employed a provision of Nevada law called 704B. That It was a chapter named after uh, that's the number of the chapter, chapter 704B, mm-hmm. where it allows you to sort of, I don't want to use the word decouple, but sort of exit the utility system and purchase your energy from a provider of new electric resources, but you still use the utilities grid for the delivery of those resources. So you remain a customer of the utility for wires purposes, but for energy purposes, you procure on on the market or you build a new resource or you do something to get your energy. And they, they took that step. They uh, partnered with an energy provider that's providing them energy, but then they took the, the next step of actually building a solar plant. Well, they contracted with a third party, Invenergy, to build a solar plant to power their facilities directly, essentially. And they were one of the first to do that. The Wynn organization, Wynn Las Vegas, did it as well. Applauds to both of those for thinking progressively about how you can use direct direct connect resources from third-party providers to provide your energy on a renewable basis to your hotel casinos. And they, they did all that. But, you know, there was a lot of folks that followed MGM, Caesars, Wynn, Switch were sort of the, the pioneers in this regard. Um, there's a lot of others that followed into the 704B process, and I represented a number of them to give them sort of energy independence from the utility. Those were successful to the most degree if, if you were the customer because there's a process that allowed you to do that. But there were a lot of concerns from others 
that this isn't the right process to employ. Um, the process is sort of archaic. It wasn't meant to do this. And, and are we shifting costs to other customers? And so those conversations happened at the legislature. They happened at the commission. And uh, a discussion ensued. And the, the results of that discussion were Senate Bill 547, which changed the, changed the nature of how you could employ 704B. It didn't cut it off by any means. It's still an, an available avenue for large customers, but it changed the way that the commission has to look at the costs associated with a departing customer, who pays for what, who bears what costs, and how it's done. And that just happened. So Senate Bill 547 was, uh, was signed by the governor just weeks ago, and now we're in the rulemaking process to figure out how, how that's all going to happen. So you're right in that the process by which you employ an open access strategy here in Nevada changed by virtue of 547. But Senate Bill 300 is an alternative rate-making mechanism bill that may allow other avenues for customers seeking uh, different ways to procure their energy or to use their energy or, or how energy is paid for. And I give uh, tremendous credit for the legislature for thinking about these very tough and very challenging issues that, you know, and how all customers are affected, but still providing avenues for large customers to take the steps that MGM and, and Switch and others took to really kind of command control over their energy independence and how they want to procure energy and increase renewables and do those types of things outside of the utility construct when they have the power and capacity to do that. So that's where we're kind of, we're in this back and forth and how, how we do that and how we allow for that. But the credit the legislature and Senator Chris Brooks for thinking these things, these hard issues through and putting together, you know, smart and comprehensive initiatives to try to make sure that we're protecting all customers, but still allowing large customers these, these energy options and energy independence that, they, that they're looking for. And I'll give one last plug for listeners who are interested in learning more about the MGM Resorts uh, story. I have a podcast uh, up on on our archives where I interviewed Henry Shields. He's the Executive Director of Finance and Analysis in the Corporate Sustainability Division of MGM Resorts International. And listeners can find that, and it's titled, How a Major Resort Owner Manages Its Power. So look back in the archives for that one. And I think the last thing I'd like to touch on, and, and maybe there's more that uh, that you'll want to bring up, but talking about rooftop solar incentives. And I know when we talked last year, there was kind of a tiered approach to getting out of these in, incentives or how the net metering was going to work. Can you elaborate on what has happened since that time? Sure. Yeah. No, another great question. You know, when early... 2000s, late 90s, the Nevada legislature sort of uh, was thinking progressively again about how we uh, incentivize rooftop solar, and they created a net metering program that was was very uh, beneficial towards anybody that was thinking about putting rooftop solar on their house. Then they created an incentive program funded through bill mechanisms by which a pot of money was developed, and that pot of money could be used to continue to incentivize solar for rooftops for customers that wanted to do that. I myself am a net metering solar rooftop customer. I installed my installation in 2015 and I received an incentive from the utility to do so. The the, the money started to run out. I mean, frankly, they built a, a big pot of money, but a lot of people were were using these types of incentives to justify economically putting rooftop solar on their house because you know, years ago, uh, these types of installations were quite expensive, and a lot of people 
wouldn't take that step because the economics didn't work out. But with the incentive program, it sort of leveled those economics and it made it more economically palatable to do so. Maybe not a one-for-one even, but certainly you got closer to even. And if you were, you know, considering environmental aspects or energy sufficiency aspects or self-sufficiency aspects of, of putting rooftop solar on your on your house, the economics were better by virtue of these incentives. But the money started to run out, and the legislature had to look at whether or not they were going to continue the program or not. But, you know, I've talked to a handful of legislatures where they say, didn't we do what we wanted to do, which was kickstart this thing, get people to take these steps, make it sort of more mainstream, bring in large companies that provided these rooftop solars, bring in the jobs, and get this industry off the ground? Didn't we do that? And if we did, do we still need to incentivize it, or is it now on its own? And um, the legislature decided we're not going to continue the funding here, so the rooftop incentives really dried up uh, a month or two ago. And now there's still incentives for battery storage and other and EV infrastructure and other things, but the rooftop side of it specifically, that those those funds are gone, and the legislature decided not to increase those. And you think to yourself, okay, well, what happens next? Well, you know, I'm driving down my my uh, street on the way to work, and there's guys on the top of the roof putting in solar. So, I think that we're. I think we're, I agree with a lot of the legislators in their 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 thought process, and that we're kind of there. And you know, we're thinking about battery storage and and how we put those into homes, and we're thinking about electrical vehicle infrastructure, and those are all great conversations that we continue to need to have. But from a rooftop incentive, uh, on-bill kind of incentive financing, I don't know if it's needed anymore. And, and the legislature made that decision. They don't ask me, but the legislature made that decision. So those rooftops incentives dried up, but we didn't hear like the outcry that we did four years ago when they changed the whole net metering paradigm and didn't grandfather customers in and really, really devalued the economics of, of net metering altogether. You know, that was one thing, and there was a lot of outcry over that. But now that the incentives have dried up, we haven't heard a whole lot of folks saying, no, we need those incentives back. We can't, we can't survive without them. I think solar, rooftop solar specifically, now has its own sort of economic benefit analysis that is sort of self-sufficient and doesn't necessarily need those incentives. And that's what the legislature decided. So um, we've, we've, we've turned a page here, and we've, uh, we've went through the entire sort of incentive, heavy incentive, to – um, the, the bottom falling out of it by virtue of a legislative and uh, regulatory change all the way back up to a place where we reinstated those programs for the benefit of all customers, including grandfathered customers, and now we've tapered those incentives off to, uh, to nothing. And that's where we're at. And it's sort of, sort of wild to think about how we got here, but I still see the, the, the trucks driving around. I still see folks on roofs. My my street in particular, the, the back street that I live on, there's, uh, it's about a mile long, and I think there's seven installations on it, one of which is mine. And uh, it's just really cool to see that that industry is continuing to grow, continuing to develop renewable resources under a net metering program that is also tapering down because of AB405. It, every, there's a stair step on the, the money you get for the energy you send back to the grid, and that, that drops down to a to a level over time as well. So, but but that hasn't changed the fact that installations continue. So, uh, you know, progressive policies back in the 90s 
uh, worked. They were <laughs> they they ebbed and flowed as far as popularity, and um, there were concerns associated with them. But we got to where we wanted to get as a state, and that's that's just really cool to look in the rear view and see that now. I agree. It seems to have worked, and and the solar industry seems to be on pretty stable ground right now and able to support itself at this point and going forward. So. Kurt, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You're a wealth of information, and uh, it's just uh, we, we need to probably do this about once every year so we can catch up on Nevada uh, legislation and, and energy policy. You know, that, that's a great idea. We're moving so fast around here. Um, a year is a long time, and a lot changes, as, as you could probably tell by comparing our conversation today with our conversation last year. And and Aaron, I really appreciate the time and effort today. Thanks to your listeners. I think they have all my contact information on all the various different social media platforms and davisonvancleave.com or dvclaw.com. Look me up, send me an email. Happy to talk with you directly about anything we talked about or anything at all. And Aaron, I look forward to doing this with you again in a year or so. All right. Thank you, Kurt.